Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And now entered the house of mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro. David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on MCP 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren, Mr. John Copenhaver. He's uh he's riding side saddles. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess that's what I'm doing today. Yeah, Partner. shotgun. How's that? Shotgun. Shotgun. <laughs> well, Oklahoma City, you better be riding shotgun here. You know, it's a rough crowd there. You know, yeah, just like uh, you never know what's going to happen. Let's just get right into it today because we've got an interesting guest, and uh, let's see. Now the the new book is called Hurt for Me. And it's by Heather Levy, and she's here. So welcome to the show, Heather. Hi. Great to be here. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. So listen, um, before we get into the book itself, how did you get yourself into this world of writing? That's a, that's, that's a quite quite a long <laughs> answer there. So I'll, I'll be short. I mean, I think like most uh, writers, I've, I've always had an interest in writing from a young age. I remember writing a book to my family. I, I created a book for my family and I did illustrations. I uh, I loved uh, drawing and, and art in general as well. That was actually my one of my first loves. I thought that was going to be my career path. And when I was in college, uh, struggling through my fine arts degree courses, <laughs> um, I was taking a lot of writing courses and I was um, also tutoring English and uh, to uh, some for- foreign students uh, who were going to school. And one of my professors, her name was Professor Celia Kadam at Oklahoma City University. 
she uh, was the one who kind of put me aside and said, hey, I really enjoy your, your papers, your, your writing. Um, you know, have you ever thought about going in that, that direction? And I was like, oh, no, not at all. <laughs> like, there's no money in that. So I just put all of that in the back burner. I, I continued to write, put out short stories. I, I wrote a lot of poetry, a lot of bad poetry, too. Tried to dip my foot in novel writing for, for you know, quite a few years. And then I was married, had a couple of kids, well, had a divorce in there, that then got remarried, had another child, so two, two kids. And uh, I had all these half-finished novels that I, I just could not get through. And I realized I, I needed, I, I really needed a direction and more, uh, in my case, I, I felt like I needed, uh, you know, more education in, in that area. And that's how I got connected with uh, Oklahoma City University's Rhetoric MFA program and uh, author Lou Burney, who was my mentor there. He's, he lives here in Oklahoma City with me, so <laughs> we, we used to see each other all the time at, you know, coffee shops, a particular coffee shop, which is now closed down, unfortunately, due to the pandemic. But um, uh, he, he really uh, helped me in, in shaping uh, kind of the, the, the writing that I wanted to do because I had no idea what I was writing. I was working on my thesis, which was ended up being Walking Through Needles. I wrote that during my, my MFA. And it's like, you know, you're writing crime fiction. And I had no idea. Like, I, I, I read widely, but I, I was not at all uh, very familiar with the crime writing world in general. So I had sort of a crash course <laughs> through him and, and, uh, and just, just started. I just got into the community. I loved it. And that's kind of where, where I ended up here, you know, um, went through Pitch Wars, got an agent through that. Um, had my first book out with Polis Books, and then I now now with uh, Amazon. So it's a, it's a totally different world uh, with with them going into you know bigger publishers. So I'm learning a lot through that process as well. That's interesting. You know, was there something that that sparked you, but something that gave you the courage to actually decide to publish? But you know, because you can write, but to actually let other people read it. I mean, the the big the the biggest push that I had really was when my father had died in 2013. He was an artist, uh, like a, an actual visual artist, and had worked at one point doing that. So that's, you know, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why I was trying to pursue fine arts. And uh, he was one of the first people who told me, hey, you're, you're a really good writer. Um, and he didn't understand why I was pursuing art, visual arts. And after he passed, there, there was just so much in his life that he didn't accomplish, so much that he wanted to accomplish that he, he didn't pursue um, for, what, for whatever reason, um, you know, family, whatnot. And I found myself making that same excuse. I've got kids. I have a day job. I don't have time. And that's when I, you know, started, take, I, I started doing some local community college workshops. And the more I was doing it, I was like, you know, I, I, I really, I, I don't want to end up like my dad. I don't want to end up like all the other people who don't put themselves out there because they're scared or, you know, I, I, I was scared. I was, I was worried that, Hey, I, maybe, maybe I'm not that great. Um, but I wanted, I wanted to be good. I wanted to be great. So, so yeah, it was just that it was really just 
his death and and was the catalyst to really sort of push me forward and 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 not just writing stories and submitting them and publishing them whenever I could, but actually sitting down and saying, hey, I, this is really what I want to do. I want to tell a longer story, and I, and, I, and I want a lot of people to read it. And so the book hurt for me. What's, what's, what's the basic premise behind this book? It's about uh, Ray Dixon, a single mom who escapes being trafficked as a teen, and with the help of a friend, she rebuilds her life as a professional dominatrix. Um, a business she keeps hidden from both the public and her teen daughter. But when one of her high-end clients goes missing, the lead investigator on the case, Detective Clearwater, digs into her past. Then Ray notices women within her teen community are going missing as well, and she teams up with Detective Clearwater to look into this underground BDSM group of wealthy elites who might be involved. And the more they look into the group, they quickly realize their lives and those uh, of those they love are in mortal, mortal danger. Now, with your main characters like Ray Dixon and uh, Clearwater, the detective, how do, you, how do you experience these characters? How do you write their dialogue? Do you, do you hear them? Do you see them like a movie or is it something different? Yeah, it's definitely full-on movie. Uh, I'm one of those people who whenever I dream, I, I'm in like vivid color, like it's, it feels very real. Um, I, I'm one of those people that if I have a, if I have a dream that, you know, involves something bad with my husband, I will be angry at him the next day. And he's like, why, how, how do I, you know, I can't, I have no control over your dreams, that kind of person. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely, I'm hearing their voices. I hear the cadence. Uh, I see them. It's, and I'm just trying to do my best as I'm writing to capture that, those scenes in my head that are playing out. It's almost like watching a movie and then writing it down. <laughs> so your husband doesn't let you drive now <laughs> since you hear these voices and all this, right? You're kept under, oh, you know, course. lock and key. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's important, you know. How much? Which character do you, do you see yourself most as, or do you? I have to say, Ray. I, I've not I've not experienced the same traumas as Ray, but I've certainly had many traumas in my life uh, that I have you know, overcome in part because of my sexuality. And with her being a, a, a mom, I was a single mom at one point. I know how that that feels. I know the difficulty of that and how you have to really surround yourself with with people who will support you, people you can trust. Um, and then, and then that process of rebuilding trust with someone, I, I, I definitely identified with that. And this is the first time I've, I've written a character where, where I could um, explore motherhood through the character. I was just curious about, I mean, I, I think I, I'm so fascinated in both of your books, but, you know, this one, since we're focusing on it, you're really taking, you know, taking a, a kink positive approach and empowering approach. And, um, I mean, I think there's just been, you know, I guess a tradition of, well, I guess not taking it that that perspective on kink and even how it may be connected to trauma. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we do, you know, we do have a tendency in, in society to look at, at, at kink and uh, through the lens of, you know, pop culture, you know, the, the Fifty Shades, of course, 
and then uh, you know you, you see a lot of times there there are people who are sadists on a show or or, or uh, in a book, and so they're always presented in this in this very negative light a lot of times. Uh, and I find that you, you see the positivity side of kink a lot of times in romance books, you know, um, more than anything. And so I wanted to bring that aspect into the crime world and the crime thriller world. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm fascinated with how women in particular process sexual trauma and reclaim their agency through the practice of kink, whether it's on, on the masochistic end, like like with my character in Walking Through Needles, or in, from, uh, you know, a dominating uh, position with, with Ray and her for me. I, I feel like they're, they're, there's a whole psychology that hasn't been fully studied. Uh, and I know because I've, I've tried, I tried to find so much research on it. And uh, I mean, you, you find a lot of uh, anecdotal type stories, but um, I haven't found a lot of uh, strong research that, that goes into how people can really actually use kink as a form of therapy. Not saying that people should, but I know people who do, and I myself have. That having that trust, that mutual trust with someone through the practice of kink, um, I think that's a powerful uh, way to rebuild, you know, someone's sexuality, being able to uh, really gain that agency. Yeah, I mean, I think that I uh, particularly think it's not something that's covered very well in our genre. It's why it's so exciting that you are. <laughs> and um, because it is often demonized, um, you know, and I, I'm a uh, gay writer, and of course, it's a different thing, but it's, you know, we have, you know, gay characters traditionally have been demonized as well in, in the crime genre. So I think that's really refreshing. And was it ever difficult to for you to sort of write that, like, um, or, you know, talk about sort of feeling like you may get pushback. Was that ever in your journey to publication uh, a struggle uh, internally or externally, you know, with, you know, rejection and that kind of thing? For me, uh, because I'm a part of that community, that was the scariest thing, uh, was putting, now, I, I had been uh, pretty open about, you know, being a kinky person uh, before even Walking Through Needles came out, but I didn't realize until I was actually, you know, discussing the book, how I really couldn't separate those two things. I couldn't separate myself or I, I had trouble separating my personal life from, you know, the, the book itself. So that was the scariest thing is just it's feeling that if someone rejected the book, that they were rejecting that part of me. Yeah, that was that was the scariest part there. Just as you're on your road to publishing, you know, was that where people are like, no, I'm not we're not going to we're not going to represent that kind of book or something like that. <laughs> I, I had. So many, so many, uh, it was, it was a rough road trying to find an agent, um, with, with walking through needles. I mean, you know, it's a dark book. It is a dark book. For, for me, it's a much easier sell somehow <laughs> than that book was just because of the other aspects. But, but yeah, it was, it was difficult finding an agent. Um, you know, they were, I got a lot of, I really, uh, I, I love your writing, but I don't know how I'm going to sell this 
this kind of book. And then I just, you know, I finally found uh, my agent, Sandy, who is amazing. And she's like, there's a place for it. You know, <laughs> there's a place for every book. Um, and Polis at that time was, was uh, the best place. You know, they, they take chances. I think that's kind of how it is in general in the indie world. Um, and uh, so whenever it came time for her, for me, and we were going out with it, I, I knew somehow that there was going to be a wider audience for this book, um, even though it is still dark and even though it is like it's extremely uh, kink heavy, but because there's this sort of uh, almost educational aspect to it <laughs> and, and the fun, there was, there was a, a lightness and a sexiness to it that I, I felt like it kind of wrapped the, the kink part of it in a more appetizing way for readers. It found it, it, was, it was a lot easier to get that out there and, uh, and get some interest. But even whenever I went on submission with Hurt For Me, there were definitely uh, editors who were coming back with, this is just too much. <laughs> it was like too, too, too much on the, on the king, too much on, on, you know, the sex side of things and, and whatnot. My, and of course, my, my, my agent was like, okay, like she was definitely frustrated on, on that end. So whenever Amazon uh, was really interested, uh, we, we were, we were very excited that they were going to take a chance. They were very, they were very open to not only uh, were they open to the book as it was written, but they even wanted me to go like deeper into those steamy scenes, <laughs> the steamier parts of it. So I was like, okay, yes, I, I can do that. Yeah. I'm always down. How are you then with criticism then? You know, because it's a touchy area. So when you get people that respond and look at it like, well, the way you describe it or you're tying it to, to trauma, you're tying kink to trauma, and some people don't agree with that, right? So people, I notice there's complaints on that stuff. How do you respond to something like that? You know, um, I, I, I would say in, in Bray's case, because it's just a, how, how it comes about in her life and who she ends up connecting with, who and, um, introduces that life style to her. You know, it's definitely different than from my first book. I would say that everyone has their own lived experience. And just because someone, especially in the kink communities, if someone within the kink community has, if they found kink in a different way, and it wasn't through trauma, that, that doesn't discount how other people are connecting with the book who very much understand that. I actually just read, um, my, my husband reads the the good reviews to me. <laughs> health, that's for my mental health. I do not read the, the any you know negative reviews. I try not to. But uh, he you know he he read one to me, and uh, it was uh, someone who was a therapist, someone who who works with trauma victims. He said that how, how it was portrayed was you know very accurate, and she appreciated that. And uh, that that was what I two, two things in this book. I wanted to make sure that I captured that psychology behind her trauma as as, as well as I could, uh, while keeping the story moving forward. And I wanted to make sure that I showed respect to the community, the kink community that I'm a part of. And so, yeah, there there are gonna be people even within my community who are gonna say, well, you know, there's still this. Uh, like this negative aspect to uh, the story involving kink. But what I would say to them is 
well, look at the consent. There was no consent in those situations. And throughout the book, uh, consent is, uh, is, is at the forefront. What, what it means to Ray, what in her relationships and, uh, and moving forward from that trauma that she experienced. Um, she really had to, to learn what consent was. You know, she was trafficked at a, at a, at a younger age. Um, so she had never experienced a relationship where you, you have those discussions. I understand that there's always going to be pushback. I try not to let it bother me too much because, you know, there's an, there's an audience for a book out there. And, and sometimes, especially during the Amazon first reads that the book has gone through, a lot of people that are reading it might not necessarily be the audience the normal audience who would be reading this book. So, And I only read other people's bad reviews. I don't read mine. <laughs> it makes me feel better about mine. I could say, look at her. She's got some bad reviews. Okay. I, I, I have to I admit that, too. I do. Oh, gosh. I, I do. I look up um, huge, huge writers, you know, and I will look at their one-star reviews. It is my therapy. That is an, That is a form of therapy for me. <laughs> yeah, no, because because it's that's it's so funny. funny. Yeah, no, but it's more. I do, I do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, see, this is the truth. I'm like, I, I, some 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 writer, but it's a, I do it because it's a writer I love, and I I go and I read their bad reviews to remember that writers I would give five star reviews are getting one and two star reviews. Does that make any sense? Like you know. I, it's like saying I. It's not. You can't take reviews to. You yeah. You you can't take reviews to heart, and they, your book has to find its true audience, and it takes a while. <laughs> and and if you get the bad review, you just look up the person that wrote it, then you go after them. You know, get down. <laughs> no, you don't do that. <laughs> yeah, you hunt them, hunt them down, and 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 beat them. You know, yeah. There's your color idea. Yeah. See, that's how you get true crime books you know that's <laughs> oh <laughs> well you know but it sounds like you're because because you're involved in in what you're writing about as well in your real life and and you're also very involved with your characters like they're they seem to be you know you're hearing them you're watching the movie you're living through it so during the process of writing a book like this where you're so involved, it's it's got to have some change on you. How do you think writing this book has changed you? Yeah, I think it has given me um, an even uh, better appreciation and understanding of what it means to be a sex worker and the, the various forms of sex work. Uh, I, I know sex workers and within my personal life. I Throughout the process of writing the book, I spoke with uh, professional dominatrixes um, and even former uh, dominatrixes, uh, including uh, Krista Faust, who the book was uh, dedicated to. She was amazing in, in helping me really pinpoint what it meant uh, uh, to do that type of work. It also it, it gave me um, a better appreciation and understanding of you know, my own masochism, because I, I am on the opposite spectrum from Ray. And when I initially got the draft out, I, I knew it felt a little bit off. It, it felt good writing the book. I, I wrote it in very fast. I wrote it in about, it was less than three months. I think it was about two and a half months, uh, which is the fastest I've ever written a book. I sent it off 
to Krista to read as, you know, to kind of to help me get a handle on, on, you know, Ray's character. And uh, she was just so vital in getting me on the phone and talking for a very long time and, and explaining to me basically that I, I wasn't tapping into her psyche as, as a, a, a dominant person. And it was difficult for me to look at that from a, the sexuality standpoint. I'm a very dominant person in my, my daily life. Um, and that kind of seems to be the, the tendency for, for a lot of people who are on the submissive or masochistic side of things. So writing a character from that opposite end, uh, I, I, I didn't realize how closely connected they really are. Um, that the same enjoyment that I get, you know, with with a kink is the same type of enjoyment, really, that uh, someone on a on a dominant side would get. Um, so yeah, that was that was one of the the biggest revelations, and it and it it really it made me feel even more connected with other people in the community who who are on that that opposite end or even on the switch end um meaning someone who is who has both that dominant and submissive side um which i learned through uh, my research and and uh and within my personal life that that uh is probably a, a better identifier for me <laughs> so I, I didn't realize you talked to john about the getting it doing research in the book you said a dominatrix right you called John. Uh, oh, me? No, John. <laughs> I would be honored. <laughs> I, I'm really in, interested in, so, you know, you've done a lot of research, but you are ultimately writing a crime novel. And I, I noticed early on you said, you know, Lou was like, hey, I think you're writing a crime novel here. Um, talk a little bit about your evolution into the genre. Like, you know, it, what what draws you to crime fiction? You you think? You know you know genre in general gets such a bad rap, and and I feel like there's so much within our society that is centered around crime. Just it, whether it's a you know a, a small rural town kind of uh, crime that doesn't make the you know the headlines or those big ones. I feel like crime is always exploring that that aspect in writing is a way to really try to understand um, how that that plays out in our own lives every day. Like we become so, so immune to it. You know, I, I, I turn on my phone every morning and start scrolling and my eyes just kind of glaze over um, from all, all of the information, all the crimes that we see. And I feel like writing about it allows you to really tap into and really hone into um, you know, the people behind a crime, the understanding, that's what I care about. I care about not, not so much the crime itself, but how it's affecting someone and the lasting consequences of that. I think that's something that it's really easy to forget as you're, you're going through your daily life and just trying to, you know, get through work and kids and whatnot, um, to really forget about, you know, these people walking around, uh, people within your life sometimes that you don't even know have experienced something. So yeah, that's 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 what I I look at crime fiction as 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 really a way to uh, to understand that to have a, a have a better connection with with people and in general and understanding um, how we can 
move forward in society with more empathy. I think that crime is very interesting to me, particularly when you are, you know, dealing with topics like your own or um, same-sex desire or that kind of thing that has been criminalized in different times and places, as certainly thought of as, quote-unquote, immoral. And, you know, so crime fiction, you know, in some ways has been this very traditionally kind of very moralistic genre, right? And, you know, and it still is, I mean, I think, but how those morals change over time shifts. And do you think, you know, that there's a relationship between the two for you? I think there is for me <laughs> as a writer, but I'm just curious if that's true for you, too. Uh, yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, especially with what I am writing, there's still there's still so much taboo around it. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of pearl clutching. And uh, one of one of the, the areas that I want to focus on is, is really normalizing that within the within my writing. And then who knows, 10 years from now, it's, it's not going to be a big deal at all. Like, like the fact that it is still a big deal to have kink in a, um, in a book that's not, you know, that that's in the, in crime fiction or, uh, it's just so bizarre to me still. <laughs> um, but you're seeing more and more of it. I, I, you know, I do see more and more books, uh, featuring it. I won't say who it is, but I will say one of my friends is uh, writing a book, and uh, he had we, we we've spoken quite a few times. I don't know if he would want me to say it, so I'm not going to say his name. Um, but we've spoken quite a few times about the book that he's currently writing, and and it involves uh, kink um, it, with the character, like how he he's, he's it plays out in, in the it plays out a pretty big role in the book at some point. And he wanted to get it right. And I, and that was to me, that, that was like a, a, a moment where I, I, I just felt so good that, you know, people are, are taking more care and representing it just the way that they would, hopefully the way that they would in, in representing any, any other group of people, whether it's, you know, you know, uh, people within the LGBTQ community, um, and people of color and whatnot. So yeah, I, I feel like, Ten years from now, I don't think it's going to be such a big deal, and I'll be writing some. I'll be focusing on something else, but I'll probably still always have kink aspects in my work because that's just <laughs> who I am. Um, but there will always be the dark aspects um, in my work. I, I don't. I don't know how to write something light and fluffy. So <laughs> I want to. I wish I could. The, at the end of the day, like when underneath all of the. Uh beating going on in the book is there a subtext do you have a meaning or something you want people to get out of the book is there something you want the reader to take away that no matter what you've been through uh in life you know and and whether or not you have a, a you know the family quote-unquote family uh, there's there's a way to get through it there's you know resilience is, is the overarching theme and having that found family you know i think um as someone who's also queer, uh, I'm bisexual. So yeah, it's <laughs> I, I I definitely uh, have have that, had to have a lot of found family uh, living in a red state. So uh, yeah, I I definitely um, I think that's that's the overarching theme and what I want people to get out of it. 
Well, it's in, you know, it's a, it's an interesting subject and stuff, area and stuff. Do you, what do you, what do you kind of got going on now? Are you going, are you going to continue this type of writing? I, I just finished up the draft of my uh, next book, uh, This Violent Heart, which actually um, uh, does go into a, a character who's bisexual, uh, and uh, um, and her her guilt over believing that she contributed to her best friend first love's uh, suicide. Um, so I just finished up that draft. It was the first time I wrote a book on contract, and that is also through Amazon. That will be coming out in 2025, around the same time as, as like, Hurt for Me this year. So probably around February. I can't remember the exact date, but it was February next year. And then I will be working on my next book, which is going to focus on the burlesque world. I, I love burlesque. I, I'm, I'm, I've always been fascinated with, with burlesque. And that is, if, if you go on my Instagram, you see a lot of posts that I do about burlesque, the local burlesque scene. So that is pretty much what I'm doing about every month is going to burlesque shows. And so I will be taking some burlesque courses and um, kind of really immersing myself into that world a little bit more. And I'm, yeah, looking forward to that. So that will be taking place more in the city. I'll be back in the city, whereas uh, this violent heart takes place in a rural Oklahoma town uh, that is just a a made-up town, but it's kind of like the the every Oklahoma town, (laughs) rural town. Wait, wait a minute. You said burlesque, so so there's, there's actually burlesque going on in... Oklahoma? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We have a thriving burlesque scene here. We have there my favorite here in Oklahoma City is Terra Rouge Burlesque. You can follow them. Um there's the Despo Dolls, the um and there's the whole Tulsa scene. Uh but yeah, we, we just had they just had um the second annual uh Weird Lesk Festival, which which is a three-day burlesque festival that encompasses nerdless, uh, fetish, cosplay, traditional uh, burlesque, like classic burlesque. Um, but yeah, it's it's huge. I just thought they were <laughs> cowboys. What's going on here? Well, I oh, think you to visit Oklahoma. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you must have. You got to come up Well, city. you must have done some research, but also to get into the. Um, you were talking about, uh, you know, Ray being trafficked and stuff like that. Did you do a little bit of research in that area? Yeah, I sure did. Um, and, and that was a lot of, uh, you know, reading in-depth articles, reading, you know, survivors, reading their uh, their stories. I wanted to to really kind of capture that voice of what what it what it would mean, like not not this sort of crossing the border kind of thing. What we always hear, like it's you know it happens within the country. Like you know, Ed Amar he wrote a, a a great book. Yeah, there are you know there are a lot of a lot of great writers who who have covered trafficking in more detail. Um, but it was you know I wanted to have that part of of Ray's life. So you see that that transition from her being this, you know, broken person who, you know, does does not know what what having consensual sex means or, you know, that aspect of her life. So yeah, I I did I, I tried to do as much research as, as I could. I I wish I could have like spoken I, I I did speak with someone who, you know, has done sex work which is, you know, not 
the same thing, but obviously, but they, they had experienced some, some negative things within that work. But yeah, I do wish that I could have spoken directly with someone who had, uh, had, had gone through that. Uh, but, but yeah, I tried to do as much as I could. <laughs> do you think, you know, I'm thinking sort of thematically about your work as a whole. And I mean, it feels like one through line is this idea of consent and, um, particularly a, a woman having consent over her body. Um, do you think this has, you know, I, I'm sure you're, of course, you're writing from personal, your personal point of view, but I can't help but sort of think about this conversation in this day and age um, where the, you know, question of, you know, consent and, you know, the political fights going on around uh, a woman's body are hard to miss. Do you, is this resonating? Do you think about that a lot as you're writing, or is this more like maybe in the background? Yeah, I do think about it. It's, uh, it, I think it's hard as a woman for those issues not to be in the background constantly in our, in our lives. Like, you know, just like I, I think about the fact that, okay, yeah, I've, I've, I've had two children. I was able to plan it out and that was, that was, great. Um, but that is not the case for a, a lot of women. Um, and I live in a state where it is, you know, it's like outlawed now, like just outright. So it's a, it's a scary thing being a mother of a daughter who is about to be an adult and knowing that she's going to be, that she's, this is her world. Um, and even though it may not impact me the same way it is impacting people I love, so yeah, that that's always in the back of my mind, and I, I, I know that some of the pushback that I have had on this book is, you know, kind of bringing some of those things to the forefront, and then some people who, you know, are like, it can't be like that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it really is like that. It really is. But I think, you know, sometimes uh, when, when people are reading and they see they, they see a, a writer kind of pushing some, some issues and, and they're like, well, they're just pushing their own personal issues. I'm like, you know, sometimes that's what you do. But it's not just my, it, they're not things that are just important to me. They are things that are important to my character. If it, if it wasn't important to Ray, then I would not be writing about it. So I'll, I'll, that, that's how I, how I look at that. And I just, you know, I haven't written a, a female character, uh, a woman character who is not very strong um, in their, their personal beliefs of having bodily autonomy. I, so, yeah, I, and I don't think I ever will write a character who does not believe in that, who doesn't believe the importance of that. I'm sure there are plenty of other writers who would write something like that. <laughs> And they can read that. Right. Exactly. Right. You know, let's get back to that finding your audience kind of thing. Um, I, you know, it, it's really interesting, though, that question. Um, and I, I don't know if you confronted this a lot that, you know, the confusion over the author and, and, and their characters. Right. Um, you know, and. Uh, and I like what you just said about this is, yes, um, I, I may share some points, beliefs or points of view with my characters, but that doesn't mean they're, we're exactly the same or something. Do you ever sort of, I guess, maybe worry about that or have run into that confusion? Um, and does it bug you or I don't know? 
What do you think? Uh, the confusion within myself? Confusion between, like, a, audience, a reader thinking, you know, basically oh, yeah. uh, equating you to your character. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've definitely run into that. Like, uh, well, especially for uh, in walking through needles, you know, I had a, a lot of uh, a lot of people who thought I was condoning certain things. Uh, you know, there's, you know, obviously sexual abuse that goes on in that book um, between a sadist and a masochist. And I'm, and I'm like, wow, like, <laughs> I, and, and I can always tell when people have not read through an entire book, um, who have not finished the book, they probably got to like a certain point in the book and they probably thought that, okay, I can't do it. I, I can't do it anymore. Um, but if they continue reading, uh, then they would, you know, clearly know that that, that part of the book, that horrible part of the book um, that this character goes through is vital to understanding the difference between what what is the right way to approach that in their sexuality and the wrong way. And that's the same way with Hurt for Me. There's, you know, people who are this, you know, a group who are doing horrible things and it involves kink, but there's no consent. And then you've got Ray's world where consent is, uh, you know, that that's the number one rule, and and everybody's on on board and, and they know what's what's going to happen, and uh, so yeah, there, there's a there's a big difference there, and so yeah, it does it, it is it's difficult whenever I I get you know, a comment like that, you know, or email or something when when someone's like, are you condoning this? And I'm like, ah. No, <laughs> I'm not condoning that, that those kinds of abuses at all, um, which is very clear when you read the book, I would hope. <laughs> right. And if it's not, I don't know. Like, um, I, I try to make that as clear as possible, but uh, you, you, can't, you, you can't change how people are going to look at something, um, especially if they're not going to do uh, their diligence in actually re- reading the book completely. But... Um, but yeah, I, I get it. Like some, some topics are, are just too heavy. Um, and I, and I do, I do wish, I will say this, I do wish that with the, with walking through needles that I would have had, um, like I have trigger warnings on my Goodreads page, but I, I did not, I did not have trigger warnings. Uh, I was so new at this as a writer. I didn't think about that and it wasn't something that was kind of presented to me. So I I just didn't I did not think about that until after the fact and then that's why with hurt for me I have lots of trigger warnings I have you know everything laid out in front um, and same thing going forward you know I, probably years ago I used to be, be of the mind that what does it matter on a trigger warning because I, I'm one of those people it takes a lot like really there's there's not much that that gets to me with reading. I read very dark stuff. I, I, I get bothered with abusive children on the page. So that's, that's like probably one of the hard limits that I have. I don't like animal abuse. <laughs> so things like that, where it gets into really, it, it becomes really gratuitous. Uh, but even even so, I've, I've never felt like, oh, I really wish I would have had a trigger warning. But as 
a writer, I want to make sure that I, I give that, I, I have that for my readers going forward. And, and, and cause some people need it. They really do. And, and yeah, I want, I want a one sense to know upfront what they're getting into. And if it's too much, then they know right off the bat. Yeah. Otherwise you end up like me. I'll be all disturbed. <laughs> totally. So listen, are you, so now that, um, You've got this going. Did you do um, social media? Do you have a website? How do you like readers to interact with you? Yeah, they can um, follow me on Instagram, and uh, I, I still call it Twitter. I don't care. It's Twitter. Um, at Heather L. Levy. And then my website is heatherlevywriter.com. And they can interact with me, get updates on my website. They can even send me a lovely messages, lovely messages only. <laughs> but um, I actually, I, I, I just had a, a request from a school, from a university the other day who was starting, they're starting a, um, a, a kink library like a like a, a kinky library within their, the university. It's a private university, and they wanted to see if I could donate, uh, you know, uh, some books to them. Uh, they wanted it to be a safe place for people to talk about uh, sex and consent, and and I, I just thought that was amazing. And I was like, well, heck yeah, I can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. That gives me a lot of hope. That gives me a lot of hope for higher education. Yeah, just I, I get, let me guess. It wasn't in Florida. <laughs> no. <laughs> what was Brian? I wish it, I, well, we appreciate you being here. Now, uh, of course, the book is called "Hurt for Me," and our guest is the author of that book, Heather Levy. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. I appreciate it so much. You guys were great to talk with. Thanks, Heather. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.